what does it mean to miss your hour of visitation? I want to explore that topic next. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. I was thinking the other day in this very strange time that we live. How many times have we thought we have all the time in the world to get something done? How often do we think we have until next week or we'll deal with it next month? The hour of visitation. There comes a time when we need to realize that we have been called to do something important. Let me say that again, that we're called to do something important. And everything we do is very dependent upon that hour of visitation, to be responsive, to say yes, to do your part. If you go back a year ago, long before the pandemic, a lot of people that I knew were rather comfortable and rather lazy within the confines of their church. They didn't see anything urgent in getting anything done. We'll still be here next week. We'll still be here next year. There's a wonderful story in Scripture about the man that laid by the by the pool of Bethesda. It was said that whenever the water stirred, if you were sick in body, crippled, whatever the case may be, if you got in the water while the water was stirring, you would be healed. And Jesus shares the story about a a man that had waited and waited for that hour of visitation and he missed it because he couldn't get in the water fast enough because nobody nobody was there to help him. Jesus comes by and says, this is your hour of visitation. And he heals that, that paralytic man. We find that in the Gospel of John. Oftentimes, we have an hour of visitation. And my question for you is, did you miss it? Were you too busy with other things? Part of the program, Truth to Ponder, is not just looking at the headlines of today in light of God's Word. It's also preparing us in our hearts and our minds to be receptive to when God calls us to do something. I want to share a message I I gave over two years ago in a church that had missed and continued to miss their hour of visitation. And now in this time of, of pandemic, they may never come back because they were never ready. We need to be ready and prepared because we never know what tomorrow may bring next month, next year, if we have a next year. And on tomorrow's Thursday edition of the program, I'm going to be looking at things you can kind of expect. Not so much of a, I'm not giving a prophetic word here. I'm just going to look rationally at the direction our world is going today and let you figure it out for yourself when you have that information before you. In other words, don't miss your hour of visitation. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time, that we look in your word. I pray you'll open our eyes to see what you have for us, our ears to hear 
what you are saying to us and open our hearts that we may receive what you have for us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's gospel lesson. When you read this, we pick up where they had come across the sea again. Now, you would think by this time the disciples would be a little bit gun-shy of ever getting in a boat again with their master. I mean, it's, if it's not a storm, and trust me, they come up on that Sea of Galilee. They really do, out of nowhere. Or being on a boat, traveling at night, and then seeing him walking upon the water. They've never had a normal experience on a boat yet. And now they're doing it again. And it's amazing how many times Jesus said, get in the boat, and they just did. I think I'd be a little bit wondering what's going to happen this night on this boat. You know, as I look at this whole sequence of events that have occurred, if you go back a little bit earlier, the casting out of demons, Jesus is now walking on the face of the earth. Eyes are blinded that will not see him. Those in power are rejecting him, and the hordes of hell are fighting him. Let me repeat that again. You have people that refuse to see him. They're blinded. Those that are opposed to him because it threatens their little dominion and domain, and the hordes of hell that understand what his mission and ministry is, and they are doing everything they can conceive to stop him. There's another part of Scripture that came to mind several days ago. Knowing the hour of your visitation. It dovetails into this time and this sequence. Knowing the hour of your visitation. At that time, and I don't understand, pretend to understand, to understand the mind of God, why he would come then and there in that point in history. How many of you remember, I do, I even had the album, there was a record album that came out in the early 1970s, Jesus Christ Superstar. Everybody, I mean, I had my copy with the libretto and everything. I, of course, it was the thing you did. But there's a little truism in that, what they call the main song of Jesus Christ Superstar. Why would you come to such an obscure place? Why not later when you have mass communications, television, today internet? I mean, he could be a YouTube sensation today coming into Jerusalem. Why then? Why at that time? Yeah. And I've always wondered, you know, there was a purpose for that time. And the visitation to his children, the children of Israel, was then. And how many missed that hour of visitation? All the evidence was in front of them. All of the Torah supported it. All the prophecies pointed to his arrival in that place, that time. 
Yet those that had built up the religious establishment did not like the idea of him challenging their authority. And so many people did not want to see him for who he was. Look at today's lesson. He said, don't worry, your daughter's alive. And they laughed at him. They wouldn't take him at his word. I always go back to later on from that point as he gets closer to Jerusalem. I mean, the number of miracles has preceded him. And he gets all the way to Jerusalem with a reputation and they welcome him into town. And in a matter of days and hours, they're wanting him dead. Their hour of visitation has come. I think the greatest problem in the churches today is we don't recognize the hour of his visitation. There's one of the great miracles we talk about. You remember the guy that was by that well that every time the water was troubled, if they could just get him in the water in time, he'd be healed. If just get there when the water's stirring, and after all these years, because he's crippled and unable to walk, he never could get anybody to get him into the water in time. And so he languished. The water's stirring. Right now. It's not like that pool of healing where it only comes occasionally. This is what, and I don't, I'm not too much into dispensationalist theology, but to a point I understand the concept of the church age, and this is the church age, face it. I mean, that we can all agree upon, whether you're an all-millennialist, pre-millennialist, post-millennialist, any kind of millennialist, doesn't matter. We are living in the time of the church. The water is stirring for all of us. Yet, so many people that claim the name of Christ are sitting on the shore just looking at it. Not getting in. Not getting in. A couple of old songs were coming to mind today as I'm listening to the various lessons. And when I'm thinking about this, the water is stirring, there's one of those old kind of southern gospel songs, Step Into the Water. Wade a little bit deeper. Yet we're sitting on the shore having a hot dog. Looking. The whole time he's ready to receive us. When you look at today's lessons, the power that Jesus possessed, I don't think we even begin to comprehend it as we read the scripture. This woman understood by faith that if I could just get close enough to Jesus, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. I remember working at a Christian radio station, 1973. Song we played back then, a very traditional kind of a station. Let me touch him, let me touch Jesus, let me touch him as he passes by. Hold to me his hand extended, reaching out to him oppressed. Let me touch him, let me touch him, let me touch Jesus, so that others may know and be blessed. I still remember that after all these years. 
Yet the church today is at a cross is at a crossroad. I look within quote Anglican circles, and I'm going to come right out and say it. It is the most I don't care which group you're in. I don't care if it's ACNA. I don't care if it's Mission. I don't care if it's mine. I don't care if it's the Anglo-Catholics. I don't. You can name the whole alphabet soup. It is the most dysfunctional family of believers known to mankind. It really is. And I remember Bishop Lewis, the one that was supposed to ordain me, whose health had failed, made an interesting comment back in those days. 1997, he said the whole Anglican movement of traditionalists is the church in the wilderness. He said they got another 20, 23, or 20 years to go before they even begin to see the promised land. And he said, you'll, you'll see it, I won't. He pointed out to another bishop that had ordained me deacon, he won't see it either, he'll be dead. <laughs> He's just going down this list. He said, it, it's going to take that long because they had been in Egypt too long as a church body. They got to come out. They got to be purified. And it's going to take a good generation. Even in my small group, I'm seeing the water stirring. Something's happening. And I'm watching some unexpected things come every day from places I didn't expect. What turns out to be, are we in trouble with this? Are we losing that? Ends up being, no, again. And I'm watching that all the plans that I could have sat down and made are just being ignored, and God's plan is now coming forth. And I'm recognizing it's my responsibility just to kind of step into the water, step on the water, as Peter did, and not look down and trust. The hour of Christ's visitation in this age is now. And I wonder when this age is going to start closing up. Here in the United States, whose independence we celebrate this coming week, we have had generations, generations of absolute freedom of religion of expression of our faith. And for generations, many people simply took it for granted and did nothing with that wonderful gift. Faith was not the most important thing in their life. It was just one of those things that might have an importance. When you look, when you look in any given week or month, at the number of people that actually participate today and how much it has declined in my lifetime. And I was looking the other day at a website for the church I attended as a youngster from basically kindergarten through the eighth grade. It was a rather large Lutheran church in Long Island. When I say rather large, it was like in the thousands of members. Five services every Sunday morning, packed to the gills. 
we always tease that what we need to do is import those guys that work the subways in Tokyo to shove them in, to shove them in, to get them into the pews and get them out as fast as they can. The school, I was in a class of 30 students in my grade, but there were two other classes of 30 students of the same grade. There were 90 of us in the first grade. 90. The class behind us was only 60. We were that surge of the baby boomers that came through. You could just, we just kind of, they were having to find room in the basement to make classroom space for us to come through. And then they added the seventh and eighth grade, the junior high or middle schools we call it today. I mean, we're meeting in basements. We're meeting in closets. We're meeting wherever they could. They would never let you do it today by any kind of code, but we did. We met, my seventh grade class was actually held in a fallout shelter. Seriously. No windows. Fallout shelter. But we learned a lot in that time. So I'm looking at the website. The church is still so beautiful. And I remember looking at they have two services now, and I looked at the attendance, probably 10% of what it was when I was in that church. 10%. Why? Because we have decided that Home Depot is more important. We have decided that Best Buy, good time to go shopping is at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. All of a sudden, the things of God are not important as they once were. Our lives, what we want, we put God in a box. Jesus said, unless you confess me before others, unless I'm number one in your life, I'm nothing in your life. Nothing. This woman that needed that healing touch we see today, she recognized the hour of her visitation. She knew in her spirit who he was and she touched the hem of that garment and she was healed apply it today so I said this is the church age the hour of visitation is here Christ stands as it says in the book of Revelation right there at the door knocking and all we do is turn up the TV set a little louder put on a pair of headphones and plug into something else and ignore that hour of visitation. I see the handwriting on the wall. I'm not some kind of prognosticator. I'm not some kind of a prophet. I'm not out there on the radio saying Jesus is coming next Thursday afternoon at 4.30. I don't do that. Never have, never will. But I can see the signs, and I can see the changes. I talk to Christians all over the world that live in oppression. It's funny. The church grows better under oppression than it does in bounty. I mean, when you live in a place, I have family that has done mission work in China. They go in there as English instructors. They have to be very careful in how they share their faith. They cannot really conduct a worship service. They could end up in jail. Yet the church grows. In China, it grows. We are beginning to learn 
that for the past 60 years, the church has been growing in North Korea, where it is absolute death to be caught running a church, but it grows. You look at other parts of the world, in the Middle East, project I was very active in, and the people, I, I know them quite well, Voice of Hope, they're running a radio station in Israel that is targeting the Middle East. And the reports they're getting back from Syria, the reports they're getting back from Turkey, Lebanon, Iran, Iraq, God is visiting these people and they're coming to a saving knowledge knowing, knowing the cost of being a believer in that culture. Years ago, I had a church congregation, Salisbury, North Carolina, a Hindu married to a Christian who just would come to the church to appease her, comes to know the Lord, and knew he'd be walking away from his family the day that I baptized him, that he'd be dead to them. But he goes, I'd rather be alive in Christ than to be dead unto the works of Satan. He made a choice. It comes down to that. In America today, we look at Christianity as the buffet faith. We come down the aisle, well, I'll take this, but I don't want that. No. Yeah, maybe I'll have some of this. In other words, we want everything on our terms. Jesus says, forsake all to follow me. Well, I got to bury my dad. Nope, then you don't, you're not worthy of me. Well, I just bought a new, nope, 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 nope. He's first. He's first. But he also gives this one promise that I think we as Christians forget after we have forsaken the world for him. He goes, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things the Gentiles seek, you know, a paycheck, roof over your head, food, water, the necessities, those will be added unto you. But if you're seeking the things and leaving me out of the equation, then you have nothing except your stuff. I've conducted, when I was a hospice chaplain, a lot of funerals, and I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse, ever, ever. What I'm trying to say is this is the hour of visitation. This church is at a crossroad. We all know it. It's obvious. What do we do with it? How do you take this opportunity and turn it? How do you turn this opportunity? Very easy. Take the Lord's leading in his visitation. I'm having to do it right now. All the best laid plans of mice and men. Every time you think you got it figured out, you find out you don't. What's that old saying? You want to hear God laugh? Share with him your long-term plans. I'm learning. I'm learning. And I'm watching and I'm observing. It's time we have that faith. 
to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. It is time that we have that faith to know that if we simply ask, we shall receive. It's that simple, it's that beautiful, it's that wonderful. Heavenly Father, I come before you today as your servant on behalf of this congregation and these people, praying, Lord, that you, you will manifest yourself with all your glory to all those and meet them in their need. And Father, I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, that you will lead, guide, and direct by the power of your Holy Spirit the life, the ministry, and the future of this congregation. May it be pleasing unto you and may your name be glorified in a world that increasingly denies your name, curses your name, and disrespects your name. May you empower your remnant to be powerful. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
It is amazing that when I shared that message a little over two years ago, who could have ever anticipated the things we're seeing in our world today? Who could imagine the pandemic that came upon us? Who could imagine how we are rankering over politics? We are at a crossroad here in the United States, I don't care what anybody says or thinks, we really are. We're going to be exploring more about the direction this world is going in the days and weeks ahead here on this program. I come to you each week doing this program, hoping to share some truth with you, some facts with you. There is so much misinformation in our world today. Cable TV and a lot of the things you find on the internet is full of misinformation. And you have to wonder who's behind all this disinformation. I'm telling you, the world in which we live in today is not the world of 10 years ago, 20, 30, or 50. I can look back and and see the troubles in my lifetime. I'm 65. I'll be 66 next month. I can remember riots, I can remember storms, I can remember bad things happening, but I can never remember this oppressive spirit that I feel in in the United States and in the world today. There's no doubt that the end result of this pandemic, for many nominal people of faith, those that are what I call cultural Christians, cultural Baptists, cultural Catholics, you know, name your denomination, it doesn't matter. There's a whole bunch of cultural Catholics and Christians of all stripe. And I say that because they only went to the, quote, family events, you know, the baptism, the wedding, the funeral, or whatever the case, maybe a first communion. But they really don't participate in the life and ministry of the church at all. It's like all dogs go to heaven kind of mentality. I remember that when I worked in hospice about 20 some odd years ago. It became increasingly difficult to share my faith with somebody seeking to find out about those matters of faith. Because the folks at hospice were getting woke early. And they were looking more for Unitarians and Buddhists to to be chaplains. And I just didn't fit in anymore. I decided to spend more time with a local congregation and it grew. We are truly living in a time, the likes I've never seen in my life before. And as I said, we're going to explore more tomorrow and going into the weekend as well. I have some guests lined up. I'm excited about that have a lot to share the church as we know it many are going to be scared to death to reopen their doors no doubt in my mind about that we'll talk about that on a future program this is bob bierman this has been truth to ponder with bob bierman to find out more visit our website truth the number two and the word ponder.com
That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.